Amen. You can be seated. Let's bow together as you sit. Father, it's a great privilege um, to know you personally. God, thank you that you make that available to each one of us who come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm grateful this morning that Jesus died to pay for man's sin on the cross. He was buried and resurrected, and all of those who come are freely given grace and mercy. And God, because of that, we can come into your presence, not based upon anything that we have done or anything that we will do, but based entirely, solely upon the righteous life of your son, Jesus. And God, we're so thankful for that. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to each one of our hearts, you would plant the word into us, that we might bear fruit, fruit that would remain. And God, I pray for this fellowship who's gathered here uh, during this hour, that you would grace us with your presence in a unique way as the word of God is preached. And Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, uh, control my thoughts as well as the words that come from my mouth and use them uh, to build up the church and to strengthen us who are followers. As also, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in our walk with you as we learn uh, to face our inadequacies properly and biblically. And uh, we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray and everybody said, Amen. Well, you've got your Bible. You can open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Now, this morning, uh, what we're going to talk about really is inadequacy. Now, the Bible teaches that God, when he calls you and I into a personal relationship with him, he immediately puts us on his mission to reach the world. His mission is to make disciples everywhere. So God uniquely calls you to salvation and then immediately signs you up to serve within the body of believers. Now, we know this according to the New Testament that Jesus also spiritually gifts you to be involved in the New Testament church. So God not only calls you to salvation uniquely and places you in the body supernaturally, but he also gives you so that you can help the entire body move the mission forward of making dynamic disciples. So every single person who is called by God's grace is also gifted by his grace. So if you're in here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift and God wants you to exercise that in the context of the body of believers. Now, Whenever you and I begin to assess what God is calling us to do, oftentimes we begin to take inventory of our own lives. In other words, whenever we see where God is calling us, what ministry he desires for us to be plugged into, we immediately take inventory and figure out that we are inadequate. That is, we lack the resources and the capabilities to accomplish a certain task. And God does this often calling us to do things that are much greater than our ability to actually accomplish them. You know, this occurs to me, uh, occurred to me rather on more than one occasion. The very first time I had a ministry position that was kind of official on a church staff, I was 19. I was a, uh, called to be a student pastor at a small church in Cave Spring, Georgia. This happened while I was in college. I was a freshman there. I actually went, hopefully I was going to walk on and play basketball, found out they already had their basketball team. So I was a little bummed out about that and walked back to my room and saw a sign that said, wanted youth pastor. I thought he had done something wrong. <laughs> that was funny, Horace. I don't care. 
But anyway, so I went and I called the number, interviewed with them several times, and then one evening they called me and they said, Levi, you've got the job. You start tomorrow night. It was Tuesday and tomorrow night was Wednesday night. And so I hung up the phone. I was all fired up and excited about this new ministry endeavor. I sat down on the edge of my bed just excited, and then all of a sudden the reality of what I had just signed up for came over me like a wet blanket. Y'all all right? And I realized for the first time I've got to do something every single week that I have not done before, and that is preach. And I immediately realized how inadequate I was. And it just came over me so quickly and really began to zap out my energy and enthusiasm for the position. In fact, I call it oftentimes my crazy inadequate moment. Crazy inadequacy is not just regular inadequacy. That is inadequacy times 10. Y'all listen, it's ramped up. It is big time realizing that you are in a mess unless God comes through. But you know, I also felt the same type of inadequacy only a couple of weeks ago. I met with a guy who is a leader of a ministry up in Cleveland. We sat down and had lunch, and I was just hanging out with him. I wanted to ask him several questions about leadership and mission and vision and have him kind of speak some uh, truth into my life and help, hopefully help me a little bit. And the more he talked, the more he shared about what God was doing in his life and where he'd come from and what God had done, the more I sat there at that table feeling so inadequate as a leader. In fact, when I left that uh, particular restaurant, I got in the car and just thought, Lord, what in the world am I doing? Concord Baptist Church is in a mess because I am such an inadequate leader. Crazy inadequacy. But you know, oftentimes... We experience this in our walks with the Lord, but inadequacy is birthed within us, causing us to look at what we cannot accomplish so that we would trust in the God who can accomplish it. So inadequacy is actually given to us by God on purpose that we might look to him. And you know, some of you are in the building this morning and you know that God has called you to a specific ministry. God has called some of you into ministry opportunities, but you've sat back, you've took inventory of your own life and you're like, there's no way, man, I cannot do that. Some of you are right now faced with some broken relationships and God has called you to the ministry of restoration that you would restore that broken relationship, but you're sitting back going, I cannot fix this thing. You know, God is also calling some of you to accomplish some daunting task, but again, you just sit back and you say, there is no way that I can do this. There's no way God would have me do such a thing. But you know, the apostles... In our text, we've been studying their life and Jesus and noticing this uh, concept we call astonished as they watched the Lord Jesus Christ do ministry. And Jesus called these apostles to himself and they were sent out to do ministry and now they are returning and they are hanging out with Jesus for just a moment and they're sharing about all the things that they were involved in. There's going to come a time here in just a moment that we'll see in the scripture where they face what you and I face when we follow Jesus, and that is we face the reality of how inadequate we really are. So you've got a picture of them coming back to Jesus. One commentator notes it this way. He says, for several weeks, the 12 fanned out across Galilee, proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom and validating their message with Messiah-like ministry. So here come the disciples. They're with Jesus now. They're telling their stories and you know, one pops up and says, man, you're not going to believe this, but there was a blind guy, and I prayed that God would heal him, and God opened the eyes of that blind man, and he can now see. And they would all cheer and be fired up. 
Another one pop in and say, well, you're not going to believe this, but there was a lame man. He was unable to walk, but I prayed for him, and God just healed him right there on the spot, and he got up and he started walking around, and they spent some time praising the Lord. And you can imagine not only this, but another one, because this is a group of men. They can't be outdone, right? One jumps up, and he says, you're not going to believe this, man. There was this woman, ran into her. Man, she was possessed by demons, but I just spoke the name of Jesus, and those demons took off, and they fleed. And so they're cheering, and they're so excited about what God is doing. I mean, they were experiencing this emotional ministry high. They're on this mountaintop, so to speak. They have joined God, and they have joined his mission in making disciples, declaring the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And they, along with Jesus, just finished some awesome ministry. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this crowd shows up, and the crowd wants to be ministered to as well. Now, what's interesting is other gospels tell us that Jesus and the disciples were about to take a time of rest and relaxation. But then all of these people showed up, and now they are fixing to start doing some ministry even with them. That's what Jesus had in mind, but maybe not necessarily what the disciples had in mind. Look at your Bible in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 12. You got it there? Say amen. Notice the Bible says, Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and the countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. And you can stand in honor of God's word. I forgot to mention that. Go ahead and stand up. Verse 13, you've got it there. Say amen. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. Notice what Jesus says. You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless perhaps we go and buy some food for all these people. They're about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down and eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces were uh, then picked up, which was left over. And there were 12 baskets full. Let's pray together. Father, please plant your word in our heart. Help us to hear it, not to harden our hearts, but to put into practice the principles that are learned here. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. So the disciples saw exactly what needed to happen. Common sense and logic led them to believe that the people needed to head somewhere that they could eat and that they could sleep. And the place they were currently located, the Bible says, was desolate. And the word desolate literally means to be uninhabited, isolated, and lonely. But it was in this desolate place where the disciples were about to learn what we'll call this morning the principle of spectacular inadequacy. Spectacular inadequacy. Now, a couple of truths concerning that thought. And the first truth is very simple. Jesus knows our inadequacy better than we do. Jesus knows our inadequacies better than we do. Look in your Bible again at verse 13. You've got it there. Say yes. And that was four of you. You've got it there. Say yes. Uh, check this out. He says to them, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, using our plain reasoning for just a moment, just prior to this text of Scripture, Jesus had sent the apostles out to do ministry. But remember, prior to him sending them out, he told them to carry nothing with them. Matter of fact, he says, take nothing for your journey, neither staff nor a bag nor bread nor money, and do not even take two tunics apiece. 
So Jesus told them to take absolutely nothing on their journey with them. So it only makes common logical sense that when they returned from the journey, they still had nothing with them. They were breadless and they were penniless. Jesus had told them to do something that was amazing. He says to these men, you give them something to eat. You provide the 5,000 men. By the way, there were women and children there as well. And uh, most scholars believe there's probably between 10 to 20,000 people there. So they look, Jesus looks at the disciples and said, you feed all of them. You take care of them. Now, if I were a disciple, this would be the time frame that I would have thought that it was time for Jesus to lay down and take a quick nap. Are y'all listening? It's like Jesus has lost his mind. Feed all, look at all these people. He's crazy. He needs to lay down and rest a little bit. Now, at some point in time, according to John's gospel, Philip pipes up and he reminds Jesus that they didn't have any financial means to purchase food for that many people. So Philip was all like, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, let me, let me talk to you just for a second if you don't mind. Uh, since we've been traveling, I have yet to see a Captain D's anywhere in the vicinity. And even if we did see one, right, I don't have any coupons. I don't have any cash to buy enough food for all of these people. Uh, Jesus, we are just inadequate. We just don't have what's needed. Now, Andrew, who is Simon Peter's uh, brother-in-law, you know, he's a little more resourceful, I guess, and he's out mingling in the crowd while Philip's trying to convince Jesus, man, they just need to send him away. But he runs into this little kid, finally, who has some food. Because you can see Andrew like, anybody got anything to eat? Somebody got something to eat? Some little kid says, I got, I got this. He holds up a little McDonald's bag. Y'all listening? <laughs> says, I got this right here. And you can imagine, Andrew, he's like, man, I hope you supersize that thing, right? <laughs> so he's talking to him. And then he comes with this little bag of food up to the disciples while they're discussing with Jesus how they didn't have enough money. And he's like, excuse me, uh, Jesus, hey, you know, I've I, I just found something. I don't know if this is going to do, but I just found this little bag. We'll open it up. What is it? Five loaves, two fish. Now, Simon Peter, right? I mentioned that's his brother-in-law. He's got to be thinking, man, I'm just embarrassed by this guy. So he rolls his eyes. Now I'm using my sanctified imagination. Are y'all all right? But he rolls his eyes like, whatever, man. You think that's going to feed this many people? You've lost it. You're just as bad off as Jesus is. Y'all need to nap, man. And so then at this moment, notice what verse 13 says says, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of these people. So the mantra of the disciples was simply, we do not have enough. We cannot get it done. We are completely inadequate. But what is wild is that Jesus hadn't lost his mind. Jesus knew they had nothing. Jesus knew they were penniless. He knew they were breadless. Jesus knew what he was asking them to do and that they were incapable of doing it. And this isn't the first time we find in the scripture where Jesus calls people to do stuff that they can't do. You may remember in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Moses. Moses is hanging out, shepherding the flock. And all of a sudden, God shows up and speaks to him through a burning bush. And God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to come now. And I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you can bring out my people, the sons of Israel. Bring them out of Egypt. And Moses was basically like, what are you talking about? Go back to Egypt? Who do you think I am? I am a nobody. Uh, nobody's going to listen to me. All I have to my name is this staff and some sheep out here. There's no way in the world that the Pharaoh, the Lord, so to speak, of Egypt is going to pay attention to me. Lord, who do you think that I am? 
You know, Moses continues with all of his excuses looking uh, at the burning bush, and he says, well, you, you may have forgotten, God, but I, I do not speak well. I stutter. I cannot be a spokesperson of you. I am slow of speech. And, you know, God wasn't like, oh, my bad, Moses. I didn't realize you had problems speaking. Are y'all listening? He didn't say this. He, he knew his inadequacy, and yet he still called him to do the impossible. But then we go a step further. We read about Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is one of my heroes of the faith. He's called a weeping prophet because he preached so long and nobody ever paid attention to him. No one ever responded to his message. It's interesting, but he remained faithful. But when God first called him to become a prophet, it's interesting that Jeremiah basically said, Lord, I can't speak on your behalf. I'm just a young man. You know what he's saying? I'm too young. Nobody's going to listen to me. There's no way I can go out and be a spokesperson for you. And again, God's not like Jeremiah. I did not realize how old you were. My bad. No, God knew exactly his age. He knew his inadequacy. He knew his problem, knew it better even than he did. See, the Lord knows the inadequacy of Moses, Jeremiah, the disciples, and guess what? The Lord knows your inadequacies and mine as well. And yet he still invites us to be a part of his mission of making disciples, to join the body of believers and move forward the mission. It's interesting how God does this. And you know, the Lord is calling some of you to do specific things. And you know this, and perhaps you've been sitting back and in your flesh, you're saying, God, I can't do that. You know, Jesus basically is saying to some of you that a ministry need that you have in your life is forgiveness. So the Lord may be saying to you, you need to forgive him. And you're like, forgive him? I don't have the capacity to do that. Or the Lord may be saying to you, you know what you need to do? You need to extend some love toward her. You're kidding me. God, I cannot do that. I don't have the capacity. Jesus says, you need to share the gospel with that family who lives next door to you. And you're like, share the gospel. I don't have the ability to do that. And Jesus says, uh, you need to serve in the children's ministry. Serve? I mean, I don't have the patience to do that. Jesus says, you need to be teaching students the word of God. And some of you are like, teach? And I have no background in teaching. I can't be a teacher. Jesus says, you need to disciple that new believer who's just come to faith in Christ. Disciple them. Uh, who am I, Lord, that I would come alongside someone and try to teach them your ways? And Jesus says, you, you need to financially support that ministry. Support them. Lord, I, you know my bank account. You know my resources. You know my status in life. In fact, there are some of you with whom God is talking to very plainly. We talked last week about how God calls people into the ministry. Every believer is in the ministry. And God, I pray, has placed something on your heart this past week, and you know there's an area where you need to be serving. You need to get involved. And yet sometimes we allow our flesh to take over in that moment when the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. And you sit back like I did on the edge of my bed in my dorm room and said, Lord, I can't do this. And our flesh gets a hold. And then the enemy begins to send all these doubts into our mind. And he's like, you're right, you can't, man. You are no good. Nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody wants to follow your leadership. And so the enemy begins to work overtime. And then you begin to say, well, Lord, I, I'm in this desolate place. 
Now, I ain't going to lie. As soon as I read Desolate Place, I thought of Lula, Georgia. Y'all all right? <laughs> if you don't know, that's where I live. But that's how it is. We look at our situation and our resources, and we're like, God, I cannot accomplish this. It is an impossibility. In fact, uh, this morning, um, like the disciples and Moses and even Jeremiah, Jesus is asking many of us to do stuff that makes us just throw up our hands in astonishment. We start seeing our inadequacies, our inabilities, our lack of resources more clearly than ever before. But here's the wild thing about the Lord. And please look at the preacher for just a moment. Eyeball to eyeball. Are y'all listening and say, I'm listening? Are y'all listening and say, I'm listening? God always calls you to do stuff that you can't do. Crazy, ain't it? Why would he do such a thing? What is the point? Or point number two, our inadequacies motivate us to rest in the Lord. So God allows these inadequacies in our life, and he calls us to do things that are impossible. Where we're like, Lord, I can't do this. And God's like, I know you can't, but I'm calling you to do it so you'll rest in me, and I will give you the power to accomplish that which you could not yourself. That's what God's doing. So God hooks you and I up. Now, notice verse 14 there are about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down and eat in groups of about 50 each. And so they did so and had them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate, and they all were satisfied. Now, this is remarkable. He held the food. He looked up to heaven. Notice Jesus did not carry on about how desolate the region was. Jesus did not carry on about how inadequate the disciples were. Jesus did what you and I should do when we face our inadequacies. Jesus looked up to heaven. And that's where we look. We look for our salvation there. We look for our strength there. And I read it this past week in Psalm. Our help comes from the Lord. So we look up to heaven. Jesus was making a concerted effort now to teach you and I, as well as the disciples, to be certain that we look for all of our dependence upon God who is in heaven. Now, the scripture tells you and I that Jesus blessed the food. And the word blessed here is the Greek word uh, eulogeo, where we get the English word eulogy. So we hear eulogies all the time at funerals. It's a time frame when we speak a good word or a commendation about a person's life or praise for what they did and how they lived. You know, Jesus, in this text, he's eulogizing the bread and the fish. So that is, he is saying a good word over them. He is praying to his Father, who's in heaven, and he is thanking him for the food, and he is blessing the food. Now, what's interesting, I've not seen this before uh, until this week in studying and thinking about this, is that Jesus was teaching the disciples something that all of us need to learn, and that is power comes through submission. Strength comes through submission. Jesus was submitting himself to God the Father in this prayer. He looks up to heaven and he blesses the food. He is submitting himself to the authority of God the Father. And likewise, when you and I face our inadequacies and we know we just don't have enough to do what God has called us to do, we submit ourselves to his divine authority and God shows up and makes that which is little more than enough. We used to sing a song called Little is Much When God is in it. God was in this. 
And God also is in you. And that which you think is so small, you submit it to the Lord, and God will multiply it, multiply it, and use it. You know, the miracle here is that Jesus began to give out the bread and the fish, and they never ran out. It just kept on giving. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Now, uh, we had a similar situation happen to us like this while traveling to Ethiopia. And uh, we had some medication. We had a medical tent that was going to be there. We had medication taken from us at the line in Addis Ababa. And uh, pretty interesting, Marla's here today. She was uh, on that trip with us, and there were a couple of people, Marla was one of them, who stole back our medication when they weren't looking and ran into the country like a crazy person. <laughs> it ain't stealing, though, if it's yours, right? Can I get a witness on that? <laughs> See you at the altar. But anyway, so, uh, just kidding. So anyway, that's what happened. So we took it, and then when we got there, they began to look at it, and I heard them say, man, we don't have enough for the whole week. There's no way. But it's interesting. They opened it up, and they did the whole medical mission that week and never ran out of medicine. What in the world? No, no, God blessed it, submitted to his authority. God, you're sovereign. God, we need you to show up. We need you to make this go further than we ever thought it could, and God does that. God can do that in your life too. You're sitting back there. Listen, you're sitting in the church. God didn't call you to come to church and sit down. God called you and I to serve. And when we sit there and we're like, well, I can't do anything. Listen, don't hook, line, and sinker with the enemy and go down. Hook, line, and sinker with your inadequacies and realize that when you are weak, he will make you strong. God always equips you to accomplish what he's called you to do. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Now, it's pretty neat here. Look at verse 17. They ate, and they were satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up 12 basketfuls. Now, a lot of people talked about 12 baskets. You know, what does that mean? Was it talking about 12 tribes of Israel, this, that, and the other? I don't know, man. One basket per each apostle. How many apostles were there? I forgot. I'm asking y'all, how many apostles were there? I forgot. Twelve of them, twelve baskets left over. Perhaps this was a reminder to them that while they were in ministry, they would see their inadequacy as a motivator just to rest in the Lord that he'll always provide. Chuck Swindoll says, Jesus taught the men to embrace their inadequacies as an opportunity to let the power of God flow through them and accomplish the impossible. <laughs> it's pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, listen, I went uh, on vacation last week to Myrtle Beach, first time ever. Can I get a witness on Myrtle Beach? It's just like Panama City. It's Redneck Riviera. Y'all all right? I went up there, and I'm like, there's rednecks here too, man. They're everywhere. But anyway, I enjoy the beach for the most part. You know, they got these massive waves in Myrtle Beach. They're like four and a half feet tall. That was a joke. Not a funny one, evidently. But anyway, so... Uh, but the reason I like them is because I like to do this right here. Y'all know what this is? It's a boogie board. Now, interestingly, I found out this this morning. When I came in, Pastor Randy talked to him. First time I'd seen him, he said, hey, man, y'all didn't get bit by sharks, did you? I said, no, man, why? He said, I read in the news that there were seven shark attacks at Myrtle Beach last week. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm looking at Krista. Did you know that? I didn't either, man. We were throwing our kids out there. Shark bait. <laughs> Eat them up. Anyway, they didn't mess with me because I had a boogie board. And it has a tiger shark on there, which means I don't play. So anyway, the reason I 
enjoy this. And, you know, my son, he's got a boogie board now as well. And my other kids, they have boogie boards. And so I'm teaching Garrison how to ride the boogie board properly. He would jump on a wave and he would do all right. But the problem is he put his hands like right here and would hang half his body off. So finally I said, look, son, you're going to have to give yourself over to the boogie board. Get on that thing, all right? And once you jump on it and put every single thing you've got on that boogie board, you will ride in just like your daddy. Yeah, that's real funny. <laughs> and hey, listen, we had pictures as well. Krista took them, and uh, I didn't bring them because uh, the only picture she got of me at Boogie Board, and I was already in on the shore. So it looks like I'm just laying on the sand. It's kind of embarrassing, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he's thrashing. So I jump on this boogie board, and it's amazing, man. The wave catches you, and it sends you all the way into the shore. And we did this over and over and over and over again. Now, I want you to listen. What happens is God calls you and I to do something that we cannot do. Ministry that is outside our capabilities. But what the Lord is trying to encourage us to do is just rest in Him. So what the Lord is doing is He's saying, Hey, listen, you just need to give yourself over to me. Completely rest in who I am and trust the fact that I will give you the powerful way to carry you all the way in and accomplish what I've called you to do. And see, that's what many of you need to do. God has the power adequate to enable you to accomplish what he's calling you to do. Don't sit there. I don't know what to do. I don't think I can do it. Yep, you can't. That's the point. It teaches you and I to trust Jesus. And then as we trust Jesus and we accomplish the impossible, we can never take credit for it. So I didn't get myself on the shore. The wave did. Are y'all listening? God does it all. Amen? So serve. Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, put your hand on people this morning.